I should acknowledge the IT guys. We've given them a complete nightmare for today's service, so uh, thank you very much. You haven't seen nothing yet. India, India, February 2009. 15 women who didn't know each other. 10 days, three different places to stay. Long flights, big cities, crazy traffic. Long train journeys, slums, schools, rural projects and stunning scenery. And all the while we constantly drank bottled water. We got to know each other very quickly into the trip through sharing experiences. I had a sense that those 15 women were each chosen to be there together at that time in each of our lives. Such was the impact of the trip. I could say it was something like a calendar girl's experience goes to India, which is much more modest experience, but uh, it was a fantastic experience. Next slide, please. Our arrival coincided with the end of the Method E trip to the Asha project in Kalkaji slum in Delhi, and this gave Maureen the chance to meet up with Joanna, who looks absolutely stunning in her sari. I'm sure you'll agree. Next slide. To answer some of your questions, we ate extremely well. Real Indian food is absolutely delicious. Any hopes I had of losing a few pounds with Delhi Belly didn't happen. And I think I gained about two pounds over the 10-day trip. Next slide. The shopping is amazing. I'm not really a shopper, but here Christine is looking at a, a shawls and fabrics in a sari shop. It was an experience in itself. Next slide. Warren Blake claims to not like shopping, but I think she looked pretty pleased <laughs> with this ditzy little purchase. Next slide, please. We did a little sightseeing. You can't go to India and not go to visit the Taj Mahal. It's an amazing place. I tried an attempt at a Lady Diana pose and didn't, didn't pull it off, but it was an amazing place to go and see. Next slide. We experienced train travel in India. Uh, the stations are just so busy and crowded, and you can imagine a group of 16 Western women fussing about. We created quite a stir ourselves. We experienced the station coolies, and they are porters. This guy is carrying more into my suitcases. He threw them easily up onto his head and tore off at a pace along the railway station, uh, taking the cases to our train, and they're quite something to watch. Next slide. I met my brother John. He has lived in India for seven years now and uh, he's currently working in Hebron School down the East Coast which have links with uh, the McReynolds and Rutherford families. Uh, next slide. We also visited Woodstock School up in the mountains which also has many links with uh, Fitzroy. It's north of Derridoon City that we stayed in and uh, again many connections. Next slide. We had the opportunity also to visit, or I had the opportunity to visit uh, Herbert Poor. Uh, the hospital was next door to this uh, disabled children's centre, which I spent some time in. And again, Fitzroy Connections, Naomi Gaston and William Rutherford Jr. have both worked there for short periods of time. Next slide. We also saw the Himalayas, absolutely stunning. Their beauty is just breathtaking, but the roads are really scary. Next slide, please. We made friends. This lady is a farmer. 
She's my age and she's a grandmother. Even though we didn't uh, share common language, we bonded in a, a funny way. She laughed at disbelief at the idea that my husband was at home looking after the children and could cook. Now that might challenge some of the gentlemen here, but he can. I didn't go as far as telling her about his love action songs. I think that would just been a t step too far for her. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Next slide, please. We met some really inspirational people, and this is where I'll stop the, the tour guide bit. This is Rita and Harry Rao with Christine. They live in Derradoon and run a school for children from the slum along with other projects. Fourteen years ago, they moved from Roxall Hospital up in North India, where Rita was uh, the hospital superintendent. She's a trained ophthalmologist, and Harry was a counsellor. And they moved down to Derradoon to serve in the slum. Maureen will tell you more about their work. Harry um, is an amazing man, and I spent some time hearing his own story. He came from a high caste uh, Brahmin Hindu family. That's the highest uh, caste that there is. Very educated, professional people. As a student, he became interested in Christianity, and off his own initiative, he uh, bought a copy of the New Testament and read it, and through that became a Christian. His story was amazing, but he told me that his spiritual mentor was a Mrs. McBurney from Kilkeel. It shocked me to suddenly, in the middle of this talk of Northern India and whatever, to hear a Northern Ireland name. Mrs. McBurney is a single lady who had served for over 40 years in a missionary in India. I don't know her. Apparently she's still alive and living in Kilkeel. And if you do know her, please uh, let me know more about her. I'm going to try and find out who she is and go and see her. Um, but it was thanks to her obedience and faithfulness in mentoring Harry that uh, he grew in faith and uh, dedicated his life eventually to the people in the slum area of Derridoon. He was rejected by his family when he became a Christian, and so it was quite a sacrifice that he has, has made. Christianity does not recognise, acknowledge the caste system, but for Harry, a high caste Brahmin, to serve not only acknowledge, but to serve the people of the slum and love them over a long period of time. That's not a quick fix, working in a slum a long period of time. Um, spoke volumes of his faith and obedience to God. Harry took us into the slum where he goes every day himself to walk about. And uh, I shall never forget the experience. So while Sheila and the others were visiting the slum, I was developing a very close relationship with the staff loo and later the hotel bathroom, so I missed the trip. And when Sheila came back, I can, she was only shell-shocked, really, was how you would describe it. She sort of sat on the bed and just went, wow. And I'm going, oh, what was it like? Who did you see? What did you do? Where did you go? What did it? And she's just going, wow. And I said, what was it like? She said, it was grey. And there was this river. And it was filthy. And there were these hogs. I said, hogs? You the pigs? You know, pigs. Big, black, hairy hogs. She said, they were the best nourished things in the entire slum. And I'm going, oh, what's the So she said, let me show you the video clips that I took. So this is what she showed. 
और इसको पढ़ाते नहीं हो जाता है स्कूल कौन से स्कूल हमारे स्कूल में क्यों नहीं रहता है हेलो हेलो And what age are the girls? What are you doing? What are you doing? 13. You're the same age as my daughter. Teenagers, trouble. This is the laundry. All the washing's done. Baby sleeping. What's her name? Her name is called Beautiful. Hello. You having your lunch there? Oh, thank you very much. That's where they store the letter. You buy from different collectors. You know those different collectors. You buy letters. You sort them. You buy letters from collectors and then sort them. And are these scales they weigh things or? What? Yeah, it is.
everybody. Thank you for letting us come to your home. Bye now. the trip have on me. I think it's a, a work in progress and I'm not sure what the upshot of it will be. But as I walked around the slum, what really stuck in my mind is, who is your neighbour? Who is your neighbour? And it kept coming back, everyone. Everyone is your neighbour. We don't choose our neighbours. It's not who's next door or who we like or who we feel comfortable with. God calls us to treat everyone as our neighbour. And Harry and Risa are, are living testimony to loving their neighbours, coming from high caste, can't reiterate how important that is, high caste Brahmin, to serve the very lowest of the low. I see that here as well, and we can take that message home. And life looks, things look different now. The first week when I came home, there was a leaflet that came through the door. Uh, from a development project. And I looked at the photographs and they looked different to me based on our, our experience of a child standing uh, in a slum. So a child standing outside a straw hut looked different to me. And when I sit in church on Harvest Sunday, maybe Tim McGowan will look different to me as he speaks of development work around the world. And we have our bread and cheese next week. Maybe those who've been serving soup for years to us in Fitzroy and those who count the money at the end, who've been faithfully obedient, just as Harry and Rita have been faithfully obedient for years. Those people look different to me now, based on what I have seen. So thank you for taking time to listen this morning, and uh, I pray that God will bless their continued work. So Rita and Harry came down to Derridoon, and they started walking through the slum, and meeting the people there, and getting to know them, and, get, and greeting them. And initially, Rita, being a doctor, thought that she would have started some sort of health care project amongst the 10,000 people living in the slum. But as she said, it, it soon became obvious that what they really needed more than that was education. Most of these people could neither read nor write, so following instructions about health care and medication just would not work. So although she was a trained ophthalmologist, and in India this is considered a job with a very high status, she and Harry started to teach. And again, in India, a teacher's position would be considered a much more lowly profession than that uh, of, her, of Rita's. And in her words, these children have great ability. They just, not have, they just have not been given the chance to grow. So the school that they started, well, the picture will come up. Again, in her words, slowly, slowly, a school was built. And that's the school. And she finally admitted that she'd actually designed it herself as well. 
And she said she wanted to build a place that was beautiful because there wasn't very much beautiful in this slum where these children lived. She wanted the classrooms to be bright and airy, and they were, and beautifully decorated with pictures on the walls of the work the children had done. And the grounds in the school, there were plants, flowers, flowering. There was a couple of picnic tables where kids could sit and have their, their little lunch that they called tiffin in their tiffin boxes. So slowly, slowly, this school has built up. And now there are 900 children attending. And the day we arrived, it was actually a Hindu holiday. But Rita said, would anybody possibly come to meet some folks who would like to meet you? And so the playground was absolutely jam-packed with these youngsters. And they are aged from four right up to 18. In the afternoons, the really poor children whose parents have never been able to afford any education, but the kids are now too old to join in the nursery classes, they come to school, and this is paid for by the state, in an effort to try and fast track them in their education so that they can then be integrated into the mainstream classes. And the parents of the children who come to this school now have the joy and hope that their kids will not spend their lives like they do being rag pickers or rat catchers. Those are the sorts of jobs the people in the slum do. You saw the picture of the man who buys in rubbish, who sorts it, who weighs it, and sells it on to somebody else for a pittance. That some of these kids will get work maybe as domestic help in some bigger houses. Some will go on to technical college. Some have become teachers, and one of the teachers in the school was a slum child herself. A couple have become nurses. Nursing training is very expensive in India, so that was through a lot of sponsorship. And some of the big teenage boys we met were planning to train in accountancy and wanting to do their masters in business administration. So these kids now have got a hope and a future where before they didn't. Sneha school, and the word in India, Sneha, means love. And the letters stand for society, for the nurture, education, and health advancement. And for me, Sneha is a real sign of hope. Hope for what can be achieved in God's name and through his people's faithfulness to what they felt he was asking them to do, slowly, slowly. In a situation which, humanly speaking, looked far too big a problem, far too difficult, and a situation probably best left for someone else to address. So we're just going to show you a couple of minutes we video clip of the school of Sneha.
In our reading today, we heard how Jesus' close friends realized that the 5,000 people were hungry and they needed fed. But their response was, not our problem, too hard. So their business plan was, just send them off to the local villages and they can get themselves some food. And Jesus' response was, he had compassion on the people. What have you got, he said to his friends. And he took the little they had to offer, one boy's lunch, he gave thanks to God for it, and he told his disciples to start to use that little they had to help feed those 5,000 people. And so those people ate and were helped, probably in far more ways than just having a full tummy. Perhaps slowly, slowly, but it was done. Rita and Harry demonstrated such love for the people that they felt God was calling them to help. Amazing faith in the God they believed in and loved and they taught and inspired each member of the women's safari team more than we may ever know or understand. We will always be grateful to them for sharing themselves and their story with us. Well, I'll just first of all say um, hi everybody. It's really lovely to be here and um, thank you for giving us this opportunity to share a bit about uh, what we've been doing over the last uh, few weeks. It's, shall I try this on again? Hello, 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 hello. Yep, okay, that's us now. Okay, um, those of you who know me, I'm gonna, know uh, that. Um, most of what I've been doing in taking uh, groups out to India has predominantly been taking young people. Um, so although uh, some of the focus, or a good bit of the focus this morning, is our women's team, um, I thought it wouldn't be really good not to have a chance to see and hear a little bit about uh, the girls and what they've been doing. So can I bring you both back? If you go there, John. Um, so I thought it'd be really nice just to, uh, well, first of all, it was lovely to have Helen. Where is she? <laughs> Sorry, just saw your dad. Um, lovely to have Helen, who uh, you probably remember people who go to Fitzroy, that uh, Helen was on one of the teams. 2004? 2004, wow. Okay, a long time ago, um, so it's lovely to have her back this morning for this. Um, but obviously we've heard from Joanne, uh, Joanna's mum, and um, so I just thought it would be fantastic just to hear a very quick little bit uh, from the girls about uh, their trip. So first of all, Joanna, um, you've already spoken, obviously, to the children. Can you just tell us one highlight of your trip? Um... I said earlier that one of the most amazing things was just to meet people and to spend time with them. Um, and there was one day where we got to go out with the lady who's in charge of the centre in Kalkaji, um, and who knows a lot of the people in the slum. And she took us round and we met lots of different people. Um, and it was amazing in two ways. To, um, we got to see the reality. We got to see 
the conditions and how much of a difference Sasha has made both practically and also emotionally for these people in their empowerment programs um, and lots of different people just chatting to us about how it's made a difference in their lives and we knew that what we, was what we were doing was a brilliant thing. I mean, we went all the way out there, we definitely did, but that was the day when it became real for a lot of us, just exactly why we were there. Um, and then also to, I think we all learned a lot that day as well. Um, there was one lady we met whose husband had died and she couldn't afford to pay for his funeral. Um, and so all the people in her community gave a little bit of money um, and they got enough to pay for the funeral and to pay for her food and upkeep <laughs> for um, however long um, and just their generosity when they had nothing of their own was amazing to me coming from a place where the need sometimes doesn't seem so urgent and sometimes we think you know it'll be there tomorrow and I'm saving up for this holiday and I'll give more next month because it'll still be there and they still need it um, and you know just to see people who had so little giving so immediately. Brilliant, wonderful answer, thank you Joanna. Um, now you'll notice actually that unlike the rest of us Kirsten isn't in her Indian dress <laughs> and there's a reason for that which is she hasn't been yet. She's going out in the summer um, with our first um, Safara young people's team. So I would like to ask you Kirsten we know you go to Methody, like Joanna, mm -hmm. um, but this is a slightly different team you're on. Can you tell us why it's different or how it's different? Uh, yeah, this trip is going to be different because it's not just Methody, it's cross-community. It's um, non-denominational, meaning that it's with groups of different denominations of church, obviously. Um, it's the schools are? Um, Aquinas. Sullivan, Victoria and Methody all going together so it'll be a really interesting group with lots of different people. So, so you've already had a team building weekend yeah. a couple of weekends ago, in fact last weekend, uh, <laughs> to get to know the people so did you have a good time? Uh, yeah it was great, everyone was so open and friendly, it'll be a really great great group to go with. So, And you're going to be visiting some of the projects we've been talking about this morning up north um, in, in India. What are you looking forward to about the trip? So much. Um, basically just getting out there and being able to make any sort of difference that I'm able to. Like you've seen the videos of the, the sort of older women's group who went out um, and being young. Okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> young, lovely women no, who've gone well, out. <laughs> um, the truth, the truth. And just just how they've been able to make a difference by just being there and you know getting hands-on and being in the community and just working with them I'm really looking forward to just being able to make a difference any way I can really so thank you Kirsten so finally Joanna would you have one bit of advice quick bit of advice to give to Kirsten about going to India um, bring lots of tissues I had a fantastic time, but it is incredibly emotionally intense. <laughs> um, so bring a lot of tissues. I had to borrow Christine's at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirsten, is there any way we at Fitzroy can help you or support you in some way as it comes up to your trip in July? Um, just if you could all be supportive, just pray for us whenever we're out and 
just you know be really supportive with all of us um also if you could maybe help out a wee bit um and support us through giving funds towards it um we're raising money at the minute and i've got a sponsorship form for upsealing down europa if you'd really want um i've also got events coming up in the future that i'd love if you all got involved with so if you need any more information <laughs> Okay, Thanks. sounds good. Okay, so thank you girls very much indeed. It's lovely. So, that's the young people. Well, um, now back to the, what was it, older women's group. Um, <laughs> one of the younger members of that older women's group uh, is a member or was a member of Fitzroy and that's Joanne Holland. And we're absolutely thrilled, we think, to have Joanne on the phone uh, right now. And we're going to have a chat with her. Hello, Joanne. Hello. Hi, Joanne. How are you doing? I'm fine. How Great. are you? We're really missing you this morning. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sort of holding it together here just about, hearing you all there. Hello. Sorry, we're just waiting till... Yeah? Are we okay? Um, Joanne, can I ask you uh, one question? I know I've spoken to you lots of time on the phone since you, we've got home, uh, but can you tell me what was it made this trip special for you? Um, well, definitely for me, it's probably, you're probably looking at a lot of the reasons why it meant so much to me. I'm hoping they're all there. All the older ladies, I, <laughs> I hasten to add, um, some of whom were younger than me um, and some of whom were older than me, but um, we had an exceptional group of people I couldn't have asked to have spent 10 days with, with better people um, and that's the thing I'm, I'm really missing now is coming, coming back to my new home and uh, not being able to share with everybody on a day-to-day -day basis um, you know what we did together while we were there um, they were a very supportive very um, positive bunch of people but to have experienced, I think Joanna was just said, it's a very emotional experience and I couldn't have asked to be with a more supportive and um, loving group of women um, and I'm very, I thought it was a real honour and a complete and utter blessing to have, have you know, met all the ladies and, and you know, I'm very proud and honoured to, to have you all as my friends and I think that that will that'll be with us all forever now. Um, can you hear me? So let me just, uh, it's not coming over just as maybe as well as we like, but I think jo uh, Joanne was saying there just about the blessing of the team and the fact that although, as we've said, we didn't, most of us didn't know each other at all before we went away, yet somehow um, there was just a wonderful sense of being there for each other, being supportive of each other, and although it was a very emotional journey in some ways, um, it was really fantastic just to feel that we were there for each other and that, I mean, one of the weird things for me was, obviously when you've got a group of 17-year-old girls, they all go, we've made friends for life. And you think, well, that's lovely because you're only 17. But these women who, as Kirsten has kindly pointed out, were not 17, I think, like Joanne said, we did make friends for life and we really feel that and that's a very strange thing to say and yet we feel that there's been something very special uh, happened between us, so, so that's lovely. Can I just ask you, Joanne, the second and, and final question, how's it been since you came home and, and how do you think it's impacted uh, you um, since you've come home? Hello. Hi there. 
Can you hear me? Hello, Joanne. Hello. Hi. Don't think she's in here. It's been very, very difficult to, to, be, to accept normality, if that makes any sense. Um, I think um, it's very hard to go back to, to being um, plain old mum, if you like, um, and it's, it's very hard to uh, not be swept um, away or by the enormity of the problems around the world and um, to, to come back to the, the basic principle that, you know, it's better to do something and to, you know, be looking forward to what I can do for Safara, um, short term, long term, and but to keep everything in perspective. But it's, it's very hard to find other people that understand how you're feeling. Um, and that, that again ties in with how much I miss the ladies, I think, and people who've shared that experience. Okay, Joanne, it's been wonderful talking to you, and um, just, we, we uh, well, <laughs> start getting emotional again. But anyway, we're, we're, we're sorry you're not here with us this morning, but we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Okay. Great. Okay, well, um, I just would like to wrap things up, um, I think, just try not me if I'm doing the wrong thing. Um, By just um, l telling you a little bit about what the trip was like for me, it was a really, really special trip, as you've probably guessed already. Can we have the first slide, please? It's the one with the Himalayas. Um, I, this was a kind of a, a, a big risk and a big step of faith for me because originally um, I was planning to go up, I was um, going out with Joanna and the rest of the Methody team and then I was planning to take a week or so um, up myself to see the, the new programs that we're going to be taking the young people in the summer out to. So really I was planning simply for me and then Sheila said, oh, I'd quite like to go too and I thought, okay, let's go together and, and so we thought, and then Joanna said, Joanne said uh, she would like to come and so we thought maybe there'd be three or four of us and suddenly once we started talking to a few people there were 15 of us <laughs> all going up um, to somewhere that I didn't really know that very, that, that well and the Himalayas are absolutely amazing as you'll see in the, the last photo. Um, really, I mean, when we saw this, I, I could just hardly believe. Um, it's just fantastic. About peak after peak after peak of mountains over 25,000 feet high. Um, so it was a real privilege to see that. And a real privilege as well, we've been talking about um, the project that is in Derridoon in the slum community there, but we also um, uh, were up in the foothills of the Himalayas to see another charity called MGVS and they do all sorts of things, a lot of community development, helping farmers, cooperatives, income generation schemes, health projects, etc, etc. Um, but they run two schools and you can see this is one of the schools that they run absolutely clinging to the side of the hill, um, serving very poor rural communities and we were just privileged to be there and to visit one of the two schools that they work in and this is one of the projects that we're going to be working with in the summer and 
This is uh, Kaplani School, Kaplani High School, and these are the children. There's only uh, just less than 60 children. Um, and just to think back to the um, Bible reading that we had uh, where Jesus fed the 5,000, um, this story really hits home to me every time I read it uh, because there's all this need and Jesus doesn't just sort of miraculously go right okay let's you know generate some food here and here it all is Jesus actually gives the disciple disciples a problem and says look guys you know what are you going to do about this and of course a number of them as as Maureen said sort of said well basically send them home it'll be okay and one person well, two, two people do something very special. One little boy comes up and says, I have my lunch. And I'm sure the other disciples had all already given them a clip around the ear and said, don't be daft. Off you go. Go back and sit down again. Um, but, but Andrew, Andrew saw his potential. Saw the potential of one child and his little packed lunch. And he said to Jesus, there is a boy here. And that just, to me, is just what I want to be involved in. I want to be involved in something that helps see the potential of each individual, and particularly young people and children, to say, there is a boy here, and he has got some resources, and he has got something that may not be much, but actually, it can make a difference. And one, you can see right at the front here, there's a little girl on the right-hand side, and she is the smallest and youngest girl in the school. Sorry, I was before that. I'll tell you, my favorite, one of my favorite quotations of Mother Teresa is this. There are no great deeds, just small deeds done with great love. Just small deeds done with great love. And so that little boy was able to offer up his lunch. It wasn't a great deed, it was a small deed done with great love. And Andrew too was able to see the potential of that. And so there are children that we have met, and I just want to tell you about a couple of people that we met when we were away. One is this little girl. There is a girl here. And you all know in India, the status of girls, particularly poor girls, is really, really low. And this little girl, the one on the right, is the smallest and youngest girl in Kaplani High School. And yet, we're going to show you a wee clip, video clip of her, yet she has such potential. She really is determined that she is going to make a difference in her own life, the life of her family, and the life of her community. And she wants to be an English teacher. And as Maureen said, one of the joys when we were in the slum school was meeting this girl, this young woman, who actually had come out of this poorest of poor backgrounds, and yet she had become a teacher, and she was back serving the children that she had grown, grown up amongst, and also being a role model. And it's fantastic that a girl, that girls, young girls, in a society where girls are so undervalued that almost one million baby girls are aborted each year, that's how valueless they are seen. And yet this girl understands through the influence of people around her that she is worthwhile, that she is valuable, that she has potential. We also met some women. There is a woman here who again is prepared to give her little lunch to make a difference to her family and her community. We had the most amazing day 
I would, aside from, I suppose, getting married and having my children, this is probably one of the best days I've ever had. We went to our journey and we ended up meeting these women. Now you can see they're not dressed in saris or salwar kameez or anything that I would normally expect to see when I'm in India. They're dressed totally differently. They've got turbans on their heads. They're living in these sort of low houses with uh, haystacks in this absolute back of beyond uh, little valley in the foothills of the Himalayas. And they have formed, with the help of MGVS, this Christian charity that is working with them, um, a farmer's cooperative that are teaching them how to grow organic crops that are going to get a lot more money than the standard crops that they grow. And they have been able to make a real difference in their communities. And so even though this woman is illiterate, even though in her, I mean, the, the woman was saying to us, you know, even three or four years ago, before MGBS came to work with us, you know, we didn't even leave our house. You know, you can see, look at how close the houses were. And yet they didn't even leave, one woman didn't leave her house and go and visit the woman in the next house. That was how traditional they were. The women were not even allowed to leave their homes. They certainly weren't allowed to visit another village. And yet, over the last um, five years uh, that MGBS have been working with them, these women have started to realise that they have a potential, that they have value and worth, and that they could change their own lives and the lives of their families and communities. I love this photograph. It, we're back to, to Rita here. But in this photograph, she breaks all the taboos of, of Indian uh, society. She is, as Maureen was saying, a high up, very well qualified, highly educated doctor, and yet she is interacting, she's talking here to a little girl who comes from the very poorest of the poor, the untouchables, as they used to be called, the Dalits um, in India. And not only is she talking to the girl, she's touching her. She's touching her. Most highly educated people would think this is a dirty child, and, and unclean as well as just dirty. I wouldn't touch her, and yet she's touching her. And not only is she touching her, she's tipping up her chin. Why is she doing that? Because she's saying, look me in the eye. Poor little girls don't look um, highly educated professional women who are directors of charities and all that kind of stuff. They don't look them in the eye. And yet she's saying to her, you are worthwhile. You are valuable. You are precious in God's eyes. You are precious in my eyes. You can make something of your life. You are worthwhile. And so by that very act of tipping up her little chin, she's saying something very profound to that child. Next one. Here's a lovely photograph that I'm very fond of. Um, of just this was literally if the if uh, Maureen and Valerie look a wee bit bleary-eyed, it's because they literally just touched down in Delhi Airport, and I whisk them away off um, so they can meet the girls and Katie and Joanna, obviously all beautifully dressed in their lovely saris. Um, and one of the fantastic things that we discovered when we was were there, you know, in some ways we did nothing. You know, what do we do? We really didn't do anything much at all. But what we did and what we tried to do was to do small deeds with great love. And before we went out, we said to this, especially when we're doing the team building with the young people, we say to them, look, if you look at all the thousands of people in the slum community, or you think of the millions of, of disadvantaged people in the world or in India or wherever, you'll never do anything. 
We need to look at each individual child and say, I can smile at this child, I can hug this child, I can play with this child, I can do simple things, small things with great love that show that child that he or she is worthwhile, that something that they can do something with their lives. And so the women too, I think it's, you know, with children, with young people, it's easier to say, well, you know, you can do something and young people are very keen to make a difference. Women of a certain age, you know, we know that there's a limit to how much difference we can, we can make. And yet, we too can make a difference by doing small deeds with great love. Maureen was, I mean, I've known Maureen for many years, but I hadn't quite realized how wonderful she is at connecting with people. And she spent one, I was in, sitting beside her in the minibus for, on the two-hour journey to, to the, um, the valley, the, the village at the back of beyond. And she talked to the, the, the staff members um, who work for MGVS, who are doing a fabulous job, but aren't obviously highly paid or anything like that. And she started telling them about how women are multitaskers. Now, can you imagine these women, mostly women and a couple of men in the back, this English is their third language. Now, their English is, not, is pretty good, but it's their third language. And she was explaining the concept of women multitasking to these women. I thought, Maureen, what are you even stopping? You know, but she did it. And she, they had such fun and such rapport built up just through something silly like that. And yet, by doing that, Maureen was really affirming the value of these women and what, what they were doing. And that was just very special. And Valerie, I have to tell you this story. I could tell lots of stories, obviously, and I'm going to have to stop soon. But Valerie decided that she was going to really be able to communicate with the women that we were meeting. And so before she left Northern Ireland, I don't know how many weeks or maybe even months beforehand, she researched how to say, my name is Valerie and I am a pharmacist. And when we ended up with these women in this secluded village, this village, isolated village, and we all sat around and we all kind of tried to say, you know, Mira Nam, Christine Hay, and then kind of gave up. But Valerie was able to very confidently say, my name is Valerie and I'm a pharmacist in Hindi. And it was fantastic. And we were all so impressed. And then we looked, at, she said this, and then we looked at all the ladies, there were about 20 ladies and us 15 women, and we looked at them waiting to see their response, and it was blank. <laughs> and we started to giggle. <laughs> and then they started to laugh, and we ended up just laughing uproariously, the 35 of us, or however many there were. And yet, you know, what was that? But those women understood that Valerie cared enough to really want to be able to communicate with them. And that small thing was her small deed done with great love. And I could tell you stories about people sharing postcards and doing Irish dancing and all sorts of tiny things. And yet, those are small deeds done with great love. And I'd just like to say to people here in Fitzroy, thank you so much for the support that you gave us before we went and since we came home. I know many people were praying for us, and that is so precious to us because there were times when scary things happen when you're trying to get 15 women around uh, a big country and do a lot of traveling, and we really valued your prayers so much, so thank you. Um, but all of us, have our little lunch that we can share, our little lunch that we can give 
we can spot the potential of a child or an adult, we can encourage each other to really do our small deeds with great love. And we know that when we do that, when we say, I've got my lunch, it's not much, but you know, that Jesus can bless that and will bless that and will help us to make a real difference in the world through that. So thank you. We're now going to take the offering uh, and we've got a short uh, clip of, and you can, if you spot those, the little girl uh, who I was talking about, you can just see her and her potential. It is really nice to be here. I'm a doctor, 
I have one girl who has just been in Delhi with children like you. She liked it very much. And I have one big boy with long hair who plays guitar. बहुत अच्छा लग रहा जी कि यहाँ पर आए हैं लाप ये सब आपसे मिलकर भी बड़ी खुशी हुई है और एक बेटा भी है उनका जिनके लंबे बाल हैं और गिटार भी जाते हैं If you're happy and you know it, stamp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, stamp your feet. If you're As our prayer, we're going to um, stand and, uh, in fact, we'll not stand, we'll just sit, um, and read the prayer, the responsive prayer, in the order of service. Okay, we'll stand. <laughs> Sorry. It is not... It is not true that this world and its inhabitants are doomed to die and be lost. Real truth. God has loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must passively accept that inhumanity and discrimination Hunger and poverty, death and destruction will always dominate the lives of vulnerable people. This is the real truth. Jesus said, I and have it abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred shall have the last word and that war and destruction are here to stay forever. This is the real truth. To us, a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and he will be our ruler. People will call him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply the victims of the corrupting powers of evil that cast their sinister shadows across our community, our own community, and the rest of the world. This is the real truth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, says Jesus, 
and I will be with you day after day, right up to the end of the age. It is not true that we have to sit around waiting for others to initiate change. For those who are specially gifted, for those who are the champions of great social causes, or for those who are the prophets of the values of Christ's kingdom for our world today. This is the real truth. I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will proclaim my message. Your young people will see visions. Your older folk will dream dreams. It is not true that our dreams of people being set free are dreams of justice, of human dig dignity, and of peace are not meant for this earth and its history. This is the real truth. The time is coming, in fact, it already is here, when the power of the gospel, people will worship the Father as he really is and give him the true worship that he wants.